0: Welcome to this edition of NASA Talks. In today's episode, we'll hear from Ohio Securities Commissioner, Andrea Site. Commissioner Site chairs NASA's Regulation Best Interest Implementation Committee. She'll be discussing the results of a new NASA benchmarking study to help measure the effectiveness of regulation best interest. So welcome, Commissioner.
1: Well, thank you, Bob. It's great to be here.
0: Um, I'd like to start off by asking, why did NASA conduct um, this examination?
1: Well, it's uh, Reg BI is probably the most important regulatory development in all of my time as a Securities Commissioner. I've been doing this for 10 years, but it has such a huge impact on how business is done in the securities industry. So. Um, Reg BI is very important, and NASA, as you know, Bob, was very involved in the rulemaking process. We submitted a lot of comments. We met with SEC commissioners and staff because we want to make sure that investors are are taken care of and that the new regulation will, you know, really achieve its promise. So as we've been thinking about Reg BI and and hoping to get the most out of Reg BI, we thought it would be important to see where the firms were before Reg BI had, had actually taken effect. So the purpose of this survey was to go and take a look at firms' policies, procedures, practices back in 2018 to see what they were doing and how they were operating before Reg BI was finalized and before Reg BI was really a compliance reality. So that's what we did. We went out and we got a great sample. I'm really proud of the sample that we have. We have uh, responses from over 2,000 firms. That includes broker dealers and investment advisors, everything from a small one-person shop to very large broker dealers. Um, We also, I think um, we we reached 68 million retail investor accounts and so we have a great sample and we have great confidence that we understand what the industry was doing before Reg BI was finalized and that will help us figure out when we go back out later uh, how things have changed as a result of Reg BI.
0: So what were the top takeaways uh, from these examinations?
1: Well, I found it very interesting. And and we asked a lot of questions. And so for me, a little data nerd, I think there's a lot of interesting findings. But the top takeaways uh, for me, I think, are that there really were great differences, large disparities and how broker dealers were operating under a suitability standard and investment advisors operating under a fiduciary standard. One of the things we're really interested in looking at and in examining um, during the Reg BI implementation phase is how costly, complex, and risky products are sold. That is something that the SEC uh, looked at When it was thinking about Reg BI, it's something that the Department of Labor looked at back in 2016, when it was passing a fiduciary rule for retirement accounts. And so those costly, complex, risky products were something that we were really interested in. And what we found out from the survey is that um, investment advisors really didn't sell them. They stood, they really steered clear of those products. And actually, most broker dealers did too. As you can see in the survey, two-thirds of the firms didn't offer any of those high-risk, costly, complex products to their customers. But when they were sold, they were sold by and large by broker dealers. So that to me is one of the biggest takeaways from the survey is that you did see a big difference in how these costly, complex, and risky products were sold prior to Reg BI Uh, Back in 2018. So that's probably one of the biggest takeaways. Other takeaways were that both broker dealers and investment advisors, I think, have a lot of work to do when it comes to point of sale disclosure. Uh, They definitely could do a better job of sharing what their fees and costs are with the customer at the point of sale. Uh, Due diligence, Um, I was really disappointed, to be honest with you, and the amount of information that broker-dealers and investment advisors were collecting about their customers in investor profile forms. Uh, I thought most of these firms would be asking customers about their debt and their income and their education level. As you can see from the survey, that was not happening back in 2018. It's something that I hope we do see a change in later uh, when we go back out next year. Uh, So due diligence was lacking. And then conflict mitigation. One of the big, uh, you know, things about Reg BI that everyone is really interested in and looking uh, at in the coming year is how firms are managing conflicts. And what we saw was really poor conflict management practices. Firms weren't doing, you know, didn't have conflict registers, didn't even have the means to identify conflicts. So Uh, that was a little uh, interesting tidbit to find out about and something to keep an eye out um, when we go back out in 2021.
0: And can we touch on maybe three areas that the survey looked at? Um, Fee disclosure, compensation practices, and well, four, conflict management, but also titles and services. Sure. And what if you, if you don't mind just taking a few minutes to tell us what you found in, in each of those areas.
1: So I'll start with fee disclosure. Um, obviously fees are very important. Um, you know, When DOL passed the fiduciary rule back in 2016, it, it talked about the billions of dollars that uh, retirees in, the, in their case were losing every year because of fees and costs over the long haul. And so you could have an investor lose 20% of their portfolio over the course of their investing career, I think over a 20 year period, uh, because they were being steered towards higher cost products or steered towards higher fee types of accounts. So we are very interested in how fees um, are disclosed. And so we did ask a set of questions on that during the phase one survey. And so we found out that most firms did have policies and procedures uh, regarding fee disclosure. But what we also found out was that very few of them had any um, fee disclosure at the point of sale, which really, in my opinion, is the most important point for the consumer. A lot of consumers, as we know, don't read the you know, 500-page prospectus before they make their investment, Uh, what they hear from their broker at the point of sale is often what is most important and influential in their decision-making process. And so what we were hoping to see was that most firms on the broker-dealer and investment advisor side were disclosing that information at the point of sale. And we found out in all cases on both sides that it really is a minority of firms that indicate they do have a policy or practice of making those crucial point of sale disclosures and so there wasn't significant differences between broker dealers and investment advisors here as you'll see in the report unlike some of the other sections where we we call out the disparities between broker dealers and investment advisors the differences weren't as noticeable in this particular area both sides have a lot of work to do because a minority of firms and both sides are making these key disclosures so that's what we found on fee disclosure Um, You know, I do think that towards the end of the report, you'll see that uh, there were some areas where um, investment advisors did have more robust disclosure practices. But again, I don't know that it was a significant difference when compared to broker dealers in that particular area. Uh, The next area that you mentioned that I'd like to talk about is compensation practices. And that kind of ties in with fees as well. It's something that the SEC and the DOL looked at when they were thinking about their rules. And there was a lot of debate and comment on these issues as part of those rulemaking processes. And so when you think about compensation practices and harmful financial incentives, one of the first things that often comes to mind is the, the issue of sales contests where a broker is gets a trip somewhere or gets a huge bonus based on Um, The sale of a certain product or reaching some kind of sales target and we know that those sales contests are very effective. They do drive brokers to push certain products and push products, you know, overall, in order to to get that trip somewhere or to get um, an a bonus of some sort. So we know sales contests were a big problem and something that uh, regulators needed to address with Reg BI and the DOL rule. And so we we asked some questions about that in the survey and what we found I thought was pretty interesting. The first thing that we found out were that virtually no firms used product specific sales contests in 2018. And unfortunately that was the only type that the SEC expressly prohibited in Reg BI. Mm -hmm. So it really did nothing, right? Because it's it's a prohibition where no one's really even doing that anymore. Um, Zero investment advisors in our survey reported use of those kinds of sales contests and only two percent of broker dealers. So we also asked about product agnostic sales contests because the SEC, SEC chose to allow those kinds of products to uh, continue after Reg BI and what we found there was that it's pretty pretty uncommon as well. Only 15 percent of broker dealers utilize product agnostic sales contest But only 1% of investment advisors did so exceedingly rare for an investment advisor to participate or or have a sales contest to drive their representatives to sell or push, um, you know, product on their customers. And 15% of broker-dealers, again, not a significantly high number, but a a difference between uh, them and investment advisors. So that's an area where um, I'll be interested to see if there are any changes in 2021 in that area, um, because it is an area where the SEC will be uh, scrutinizing those practices very closely. We also looked at third party compensation Uh, when we think about compensation practices because those are also harmful uh, financial incentives that we see in the marketplace where a product sponsor uh, will pay some additional compensation to the broker dealer or to a rep. Um, on the side in order to encourage sales. It's something that regulators in other countries have really cracked down on and have tried to prohibit. You can think of trailing commissions and deferred sales compensation as examples of third-party compensation that really does drive brokers to sell particular products. And just like with sales contests, what the survey found in 2018 is that investment advisors uh, did not participate in those kinds of compensation arrangements, it was, again, broker-dealers where we found those arrangements at play. Again, a small percentage, only 15% of the broker-dealers said that they accepted third-party compensation. Um, From another financial intermediary, it's a little bit slightly higher when you talk about a product manufacturer. 18% of broker-dealers accepted that, um, but only compared to 2% To three percent of investment advisors so big differences between the firms in that area moving on now to conflicts of interest Um, that's another area we've talked a little bit about but it's it's an important one with respect to reg bi Um, that's an area where the sec has indicated that broker dealers not only have to disclose conflicts of interest that they have, including those harmful financial incentive conflicts that we just talked about and were regarding compensation practices, but they also have a duty now to mitigate them. So it's not enough to say, I have, you know, I have a conflict here. If I sell this product or recommend this product to you, I'm gonna get an extra payment from the product sponsor. It's not enough for you now to disclose it under Reg BI. You have a duty to mitigate that. Um, the SEC's final adoption release does not shed a lot of light on how firms are going to do that. Um, but in any event, we wanted to see how firms were managing conflicts back in 2018. We wanted to know if they had any policies and procedures on the book and what other tools they might have had to help them manage conflicts. And unfortunately, we were underwhelmed with our findings there. Uh, we did find a little over half of the firms had specific conflict of interest policies and procedures. I think it was 57% for broker-dealers compared to 59% of investment advisors. But I would have thought in 2018 that that would have been closer to uh, a, major- a strong majority or 100% adoption, and certainly it was nothing nothing close to that. Um, We already mentioned conflict registers. That's one of the tools that firms can use to catalog the conflicts that they have. It helps them identify the conflicts because that's really the first step in being able to mitigate a conflict or disclose a conflict is to identify it in the first place. Only 30% of broker-dealers maintain a conflicts of interest register and less than 22% of investment advisors used a conflict register. Uh, Similarly, once you have conflicts and in order to manage conflicts, you should have committees or designated officers really empowered and charged with that responsibility. And again, less than half of the firms had these key committees and officers at the firm. Only 30% of broker dealers had a conflicts of interest committee or designated officer compared to 29% of investment advisors. So back in 2018, conflicts um, I would say conflict management was not a very strong area for firms in the U.S., um, but Regbi BI does demand improvements in this area. So I will be very interested to see in 2021 how those numbers change and uh, how those practices are reformed.
0: Thank you, uh, Commissioner. And I think one last area that uh, the survey touched on was titles and services. And I know this has been a, uh, a Focal point, uh, both for the industry and and for regulators, can you tell us what the survey found um, in terms of titles and services and where you think you know this may go in the future?
1: Sure, yeah, we asked a couple of questions on titles. Um, one of a long standing debate has been whether broker-dealers should be able to use the advisor title um, because it makes them sound like they are the same thing as an investment advisor, it makes them sound like they're the trusted counselor, that their relationship is a long-term relationship, and certainly if you look at broker-dealer advertising and marketing, it does try to reinforce that kind of image. As a broker being your trusted advisor, and so there have been a lot of studies done, and the SEC has, uh, you know, re- issued a lot of releases on this particular issue about how it's very confusing to investors for a broker to use the advisor title. So in Reg BI, the SEC has indicated that, um, you know, it it would be misleading for a broker to hold themselves out and market themselves out by using this advisor title if they are not really providing advisory services. So that's something they shouldn't be doing after Reg BI. But we were curious to see back in 2018, what they were doing and whether the title was something that uh, brokers were using at that time. And so what we found is yes, (laughs) not surprisingly, brokers were using the term advisor and not only when they were in, a, were in a dual-headed scenario where they're providing the advisory services, but when they were acting specifically in a broker-dealer capacity. So we saw that uh, 40% of broker-dealers allowed their reps to use the title when the rep was acting in a broker-dealer capacity, but even did so did 26% of investment advisors. Uh, We were curious to see if firms were using um, alternative labels and titles rather than the advisor title, because the SEC focused and honed in on advisors, we thought, well, we should see what other titles were out there in the marketplace. So we saw a significant number. I think 14% of the firms use titles like wealth manager and financial consultant, Uh, that was more common on the BD side than the investment advisor side. You would see 30%, almost a third of the broker dealers use these alternative titles of trust compared to only 9% of investment advisors. And so not surprisingly in 2018, you saw a lot of marketing and title usage in a very misleading way for most retail investors. And hopefully that's something that we will see change in 2021 and as Reg BI is implemented uh, so that broker-dealers aren't really exploiting that title for their advantage.
0: How will NASA's Reg BI implementation committee use this information?
1: Part of our phase two approach will be going back to those same firms and seeing what has changed. So we'll have um, a a data set that lets us do a 2018 pre-BI industry snapshot and then a be able to compare it with a 2021 post bi industry snapshot and see and really record with real hard data what has and hasn't changed and so i do have some expectations and i have some hopes but at the end of the day what really matters will be those numbers when we collect them starting in 2021 because the proof is in the pudding (laughs) we will see whether these compensation practices have reformed Uh, we will see if there is still this huge wide gap between broker dealers and investment advisors when it comes to the sale of complex costly risky products right and so that's how we're going to use these numbers we're going to go back out we're going to see what they have changed we're going to do a a post bi phase two report uh, essentially using that remote questionnaire capacity but we 're also going to go beyond just the remote questionnaire and go on site, so the last several months and i 'm sure it 'll take a couple of months more uh, the implementation committee has been working on examination modules for the states to go out and do on site examinations. I think the pandemic has pushed out that timeline a little bit. I think that right now our tentative plan will be to start those on site examinations July of two thousand and twenty one Certainly it would run through the end of 2021. We'd have a six month uh, sample. We may choose to push that out a little bit more depending on where we are in the country at that time. Um, But a lot of states will be looking at those costly, complex and risky products. Firms that are selling those are the ones I think that will really be the focal point for the on-site component of the phase two exam. We wanna see how things are changing at the firm level. With those particular products. So, we'll be doing some account sampling. We'll be looking at um, everything that we covered in the first survey with respect to those four product lines as part of the on site component. So, I'm really excited about that. Um, you know, just doing the remote part will give us a lot of great data, which I can't wait to see how all of that shakes out. But the on site uh, component is also very important because that's where you really get to real. Uh, retail investor accounts and see how it really is impacting uh, real investors in your state.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, With us today is Commissioner Andrea Seidt, the Ohio Securities Commissioner and Chair of NASA's Regulation Best Interest Implementation Committee. Uh, Commissioner Seidt, I want to thank you for taking some time to go over the phase one findings of the examination, and we look forward to what you find in phase two.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it.